deep pause as we await the live stream. We're working on this, actually, a new system so we can bypass all of this. So I'd just like to welcome everyone who's joining us on our live stream. It's only one part of our service at City Temple and Chelsea Community Church. If you want to be part of the whole thing via Zoom, drop us an email, or better yet, just drop in and see us on Sunday mornings at 11 at Chelsea Community Church. Today we're going to read from three places in God's Word. We're going to read Ezekiel chapter 8, Habakkuk chapter 2, and 1 Peter chapter 2. Before we do, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your Word. I do thank you that it is trustworthy and true. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak your word to us today. And let your Holy Spirit rest on me to bring your word to your people through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Ezekiel is a prophet in Babylon during the Babylonian exile. And in this text, God shows him things that are happening back in Jerusalem. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. Then I looked, and behold, a form that had the appearance of a man. Below what appeared to be his waist was fire, and above his waist was something like the appearance of brightness, like gleaming metal. He put out the form of a hand and took me by the lock of my head, and the Spirit lift me, lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the gateway of the inner court that faces north, where there was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy. And behold, the glory of God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the valley. Then God said to me, Son of man, lift up your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted up my eyes toward the north, and behold, north of the altar gate in the entrance was this image of jealousy. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel are committing here to drive me far from my sanctuary. But you will still see still greater abominations. And he brought me to the entrance of the court. And when I looked, behold, there was a hole in the wall. Then he said to me, Son of man, dig in the wall. So I dug in the wall, and behold, there was an entrance. And he said to me, Go in and see the vile abominations that, are coming to, that they are committing there. So I went in and saw, and there engraved on the wall all around was every form of creeping things and loathsome beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel. And before them stood 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel, with Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan, standing among them. Each had his censer in his hand, and the smoke of the cloud of incense went up. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark, each in his room of pictures? For they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. He said also to me, you will see still greater abominations that they commit. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord, and behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? You will see still greater abominations than these. 
and he brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord. And behold, at the entrance of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs to the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, worshiping the sun toward the east. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Is it too light a thing for the house of Judah to commit the abominations that they commit here, that they should fill the land with violence and provoke me still further to anger? Behold, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore, I will act in wrath. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. And then we go to Habakkuk, a little bit further along in the Old Testament. Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk is actually writing before the Babylonian exile when the Lord shows him that he's going to use Babylon or the Chaldeans uh, to discipline Israel. And then the Lord shows some things to uh, Habakkuk about the Chaldeans. So we'll pick up in chapter 2 with verse 6. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him, this is Babylon, uh, and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long, and loads himself with pledges? Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake to a silent stone, Arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And then finally, 
On a more joyful note, to Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 17. Peter writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and aliens and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject to the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. May God bless to us these readings from his holy word. Well, most of the time when I preach, I try to do sermons that focus on theology and things like that. But today, I wanted to give you a financial tip. Uh, and this is really, really important uh, because it's the secret to going into a casino. Doesn't matter what casino it is. You can go into any casino anywhere in the world. The secret to going into a casino and coming out with a small fortune. The secret to going into any casino and coming out with a small fortune. Okay, you ready? Some might want to write this down so you don't forget. You go into the casino with a large fortune. For, uh, large fortune. Let me try that again. The secret to coming out of a casino with a small fortune is to go into the casino with a large fortune. Okay, like Olashina says, if you don't get that now, maybe you'll get that later. <laughs> okay, I thought it was clever. I always laugh at that. It's a dad joke. It's a, it's a classic dad joke. It uh, goes around for a long time. But you know what? The truth about casinos is that they are rigged. Every casino in the world is a rigged system. The thing is, it's not rigged to cheat because that's illegal. So if anybody would ever find out, a gambling commissioner would ever find out that the casino was rigged to cheat, it would be closed down. But every casino is rigged to win. So no matter what, Every game in every casino is set so that mathematically the house always wins. Even if somebody wins a small fortune, uh, somebody will always, else will always lose so that the house never really loses. And like casinos, our society right now is rigged. 
It's been rigged for some time, but it's becoming clearer and clearer and clearer how rigged it really is. Now we know that social media and the internet is rigged. It's rigged with algorithms pointing you where they want you to go. So if you shop for shoes, all of a sudden every advertising that pops up is for shoes. Even if you've already bought your shoes, you'll see shoes for six months because the algorithms are pointing, they're trying to manipulate you to look at certain sites, to listen to certain music, and it doesn't matter what, uh, what it is, it's rigged in that way. Advertising is rigged. It rigs our consumption with subtle messages influencing your purchasing behavior. When you walk into any supermarket, that supermarket is rigged. It's rigged. Why does the candy, why is the candy low instead of high? And why is the candy always near the place we're going to check out? Because it's rigged toward the little children to see the candy at their eye level at the end of an exhausting time of shopping to say, Mom, 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 please give me the candy, give me the candy, give me the candy. And now the mom who was uh, full of vim and vigor and energy to start an hour earlier is now so exhausted, okay, just take four. Not any more than that, you know, because they want to get out. That's because your shopping experience, wherever you go, is rigged. The economic system we're in right now is rigged toward people who have wealth already. The easiest way to make money and to gain wealth in our society right now is to start with money and wealth. It wasn't always that way, but it certainly is that way right now. Because society, the economic system, is rigged. The banking system is rigged. We can see it right now. It's rigged. Positions of leadership and influence are rigged in favor of people with privilege. Those who have had privileged educations and those who have privileged connections. You can see that consistently if you look at the people who are in government and the people who rise to the top of government. The system is rigged in their favor. You look at American, uh, the American political system right now, and it's rigged in favor of those who have wealth. There are a lot of people who could be president, who could be a lot better president than any president we've had in the last number of years, but those people will never be picked for president because they don't have the wealth and the influence to get to that place because the system is rigged against them. Our social engagement right now, engagement in our society, is rigged toward people with technology. Banking is rigged now more and more toward smartphones. And you can see this. And I mean, it's really self-evident when you start to think about it, but we don't think so much about how this has been rigged and rigged intentionally. We live in a rigged system, and the Bible describes rigged systems with the phrase, dishonest weights and measures. Any rigged system that gives privilege for over one person for one person over another, any kind of system is operating out of what the Bible calls dishonest weights and measures. 
And you know what God calls dishonest weights and measures? He calls it an abomination. So we are living in a rigged system. Well, we've been saying, we've been working on this theme. We live in Babylon, not Israel. Now, Israel is a society that favors authentic Christian beliefs, values, and perspectives, and then expects others to do so as well. Fifty years ago, we lived in Israel. The expectation was even if you weren't a Christian, you wouldn't lie, you wouldn't cheat, and you wouldn't steal. But now, it's almost the opposite expectation, that you're going to lie, you're going to cheat, and you're going to steal. We live in Babylon. Babylon is the society that rejects authentic Christian beliefs, values, and perspectives, and then expect others to submit to Babylon's alternatives. Now remember, Babylon is attractive and seductive. That's why a lot of people go with it. But Babylon, the system, is also demonically inspired and energized. And Babylon operates out of something we call an empire spirit that seeks to control and dominate other people. So in Babylon, it's not enough simply to tolerate another person's beliefs or the beliefs of the system. In Babylon, it's expected that you will give in to it and follow it. And that's the kind of context we live in. And this Babylonian system, Babylon rigs the system against what I call normal people. People like us, we're all pretty, we're all pretty normal people here. And Babylon rigs the system against normal people. And Babylon rigs the system always in favor of what I call its darlings. You know, you think about Just Stop Oil and all the things that they've done and how law enforcement has just tolerated their misbehavior. Why? Because Just Stop Oil is a darling of the Babylonian system right now. One day it might not be, or today it is. And so everybody has to give in to the way that the system is rigged. Most people... Most people feel helpless to overcome a rigged system. But let me tell you, even though we're normal people, we're not most people. We're not most people. Certainly Babylon rigs the system against people who will follow Jesus and seek to live according to the Bible. But we're not most people. There's another system that we live under as the people of God, a system called the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is greater than the system called Babylon. And Jesus Christ is the king. And Jesus Christ as king is greater than all the rulers and all the systems in the world. And we live under the authority of Jesus Christ and we live in the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. And so we can live and even overcome, we can, as we say, beat the system, the Babylonian system. But to do that, we need to understand a bit more about this Babylonian system. We need to understand how many in the church around the globe, particularly in the West, has already given in to Babylon in order to guard ourselves against that and then understand how we need to live together 
in order to beat the Babylonian system because you can't beat the system alone. You can only beat the system together with other people. So let's turn to each one of those three things in turn. First of all, let's look at the Babylonian system because it's a rigged society that's built on wickedness. And that's what Habakkuk is talking about. Habakkuk is really disturbed because God has told him that he's going to deal with his people because of their idolatry. And dealing with his people means that he's going to raise up this kingdom that was nothing at that time. He's going to raise up Babylon, and ultimately Babylon's going to conquer everything and take his people into exile. And Habakkuk has an issue with this because he says, wait, God, I've got a complaint. I mean, if you read all of Habakkuk, he's, he's in your face when it comes to God, much more so than I want to be sometimes. You know, he's in your face. Say, God, I've got an issue with you. You're using people more wicked than your people to correct your people. This is an issue. And, uh, and so God shows him the pillars of the Babylonian society, the foundation, the pillars it's going to be built on, why it's corrupt and why it's wicked. And God pronounces a judgment on each one of those aspects of the rigged Babylonian system. And you see, each one of those aspects are present today. But let's look at them very briefly in turn. I'm going to go very quickly through this. First of all, verse 6. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Now, just a, a word on that word woe. That's not good. You know, if God says, whoa, that means sickness, death, misery, don't go there. Okay? It's not good. It's not good. Just, just in case you wondered. Uh, so what's this talking about? Babylon is a rigged system that builds its society on debt. On debt. Especially consumer debt and government debt. They're piling up debt. They're piling up pledges. And that's, that's what we're living in right now. The UK, our debt to GDP, gross domestic product, is 100% right now. That means if everybody in the United Kingdom worked for a full year and did nothing but pay down the debt, it would take a full year for 65 million people to work together and every penny you made would have to go to pay down that debt. The United States is going to get there by 2024. 100% of debt. Debt puts people in bondage. Debt ultimately destroys lives. It creates fear. It creates anxiety. Many of the economic problems that we are dealing with in the world right now is, is, comes from excessive debt. And I won't go into a deep analysis of that, but Babylon rigs its society in favor of those who are willing to build up debt and have a lot of debt. Why are some of the why is why is uh, 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 Thames Water having problems right now? Because instead of using its profits over the last 15, 20 years to invest in infrastructure, it's accumulated debt to do stock buybacks 
and to pay out dividends. It works around debt. And you can look that up and you can see that. That's going on. Okay, so debt. Debt is one thing. And it's in our society today. Woe to him, second thing, verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. Babylon is a society, is a system that builds itself on dishonest gain, often coming through cheating, dishonest weights and measures, this unfairness we've talked about, and evil gain, gain that is accumulated through unethical means. What's the reason that we have such affordable technology right now? Isn't it because a lot of that tech is built by near slave labor in developing nations? What about fast fashion? Isn't it so cheap because a lot of it is built by people who make maybe a dollar a day? That's dishonest gain. That's unethical. And yet, we've built our society, and yes, in all of Western Europe, and even China is working on doing that, they're building their societies based on dishonest gain. And then Babylon's society tends to base its security on the amount of wealth it has. We're okay, because I have a lot of money. And in this kind of system, there is unfairness and an inequality of opportunity. Now, God never advocates an inequality of outcomes. The Bible expects some people are going to make a lot of money, some people are not. Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. But a system should not be rigged in such a way that it gives some people better opportunities than others. People should have equal opportunities. But Babylon doesn't do that in its system. We, we can see this. We can see these things happening. Banks who are raising the interest rates charged on mortgages faster than they, rate, they raise their interest rates given to their savers. I mentioned already Thames Water. Then the third woe, the third aspect of Babylon society we need to be aware of. Woe to him, verse 12, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Babylon, the Babylonian system, builds society on injustice. We see that now, again, picking on banks. But how many of them have closed accounts unjustly? They just closed accounts. Uh, 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 Christian Charity, the Core Issues Trust, won a 21,000-pound judgment against Barclays because it unjustly, unfairly closed its account. It's happening all around. Babylon also builds its society on iniquity, on human brokenness. You can see that now. Again, the present challenge we have about defining biological sex, male and female. You know, that's not a big issue for the Bible. The Bible gives us the answer. But we've got this dynamic where we say, instead of helping people resolve their brokenness through faith in Jesus Christ, we're going to help people build their lives on their brokenness, on their sin. Then the next one. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. Now, Babylon society builds its system 
on debauchery and drunkenness, making people vulnerable to take advantage of them. Now, immediately we think about drugs, right? You think about cocaine, about alcohol, and the problems there. But we need to think broader even in this context. Uh, for example, how social media is designed to be addictive. Every time that little red thing pops up on your phone, it trains your brain to respond to it. It creates a dopamine hit that creates addictive behaviors in you, and it's designed to do this. That's why a lot of leaders of tech companies will not allow their children to have technology. That's an example of this. Of course, pornography and gambling are two other examples of things that try to create addiction. But how about also the constant pressure to consume, to help the economy? We need to buy more things. Go on to Amazon. Buy, 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 buy more and more. And how we're almost trained now. If you feel low, you feel depressed at night, what do you do? You go on to Amazon and you click buy something because that will give you a dopamine hit that makes you feel better and then you can go to bed feeling happy. Even though once you get the bill for that, you won't feel very happy at all. That's what God is talking about here. The next woe. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath in it. Babylon, the Babylon system, builds society based on idolatry. But it's a particular kind of idolatry according to God. It's based on idolatry, idols, that people make for themselves. People create their own idols and then worship that idol. They expect to get their identity, their significance, their security, and their acceptance through the idol that they have made. All of identity politics right now is based on this. It's idolatry. Oh, if only I can affirm myself in the way that I am. And you can pick, as long as it's not heterosexual, you can pick any way you are. If only I can affirm myself in the way that I am, then I will have the identity, I will have value, I, I will have, you know, what I need. That's idolatry. And the Babylon society that we're in right now is full of it. Celebrities and politicians. We think, oh, you know, if we get this politician, we make him elected president or prime minister, then they're going to save society. That's idolatry. Oh, if we just follow what this, uh, this celebrity says or this person says, then we'll be happy. We'll have what we need. That's idolatry. The NHS. I love the NHS. But a lot of people right now are worshiping the NHS. They expect the NHS to make us healthy, wealthy, and wise. The NHS isn't going to do that. The government. All of these things are happening right now. And the problem is, not only are these things happening, but the Babylonian system has infected the church. The Babylonian system has infected Christian people systems all around the world, but particularly in the West. And we see this in Ezekiel. When God is speaking to Ezekiel, he's speaking to Ezekiel about his people. 
and what he's seeing, the behaviors among the people who claimed to be good Jews, who were not. And in the same way, I think Ezekiel is speaking to us today about those who claim to be Christians, about churches that claim to be orthodox and in line with God's will, but are not. And note that God shows Ezekiel several things here. And I won't read the whole passage, uh, but the first one is in verse 5. The first thing that God shows Ezekiel is the image of jealousy at the entrance of the temple. The image of jealousy. It's the image that would draw people into the temple. The image that people would have to pass by to come into the temple. What does that represent for us? That's our celebrity culture right now. It's the celebrity culture that draws people into churches and events that make the person the focus of the church or the event that turns the focus away from Jesus. It's all these superstar pastors and preachers, all these superstar ministry leaders. Oh, I want to go see that. The superstar Christian worship leaders. And on and on and on. And we could keep going. But this image of jealousy provokes the Lord to anger. And it always involves leaders and ministries projecting a false image. That they're better than they are. That they're holier than they are. And I could just go through and list scandal after scandal that we've seen in the last five years. But I won't do that. The second thing that God points out to Ezekiel is in verses 10 to 12. This is the elders who have the censers in their hands. Now what is this all about? This is about, now the elders noted that Ezekiel has to dig through the wall to get to them. So these are people who are meeting in secret. It's what's being done in secret that's the focus here. And this is the secret hidden sins of leadership, especially sins that involve money, sex, or power. And again, I could, I could, I could list a lot. But let me tell you, this is a much, much bigger problem than almost anybody realizes. The level of sin amongst leadership in Western Christianity and other places around the globe is extraordinary. It's really, really extraordinary. It's a situation where people end up valuing charisma over character and fruitfulness over faithfulness when they select their leaders. As long as they look good, they wear the right clothes. That kind of thing. As long as they can bring in the people, that's the key. They can bring in the people and they can bring in the money, then we don't really care what they do. We don't really care how big their house is. We don't really care how much they spend on their Rolex. As long as they can bring in the people. And in this kind of context, people who have very known character flaws are being allowed to remain in leadership. And again, I just can point to several scandals, but I won't. This is also a situation of appointing people to be leaders who have not been called or qualified or chosen by God to be leaders. That's the elders holding the censers in their hand. The censers were for the priests, not for the elders. And so these are elders who are usurping their rightful place, who are acting in a way that they were not called or chosen by God to act. Sometimes acting as a leader 
when God's not really called them to be a leader, and the body of Christ has not really affirmed them to be a leader, but they still act like a leader. That's the elders with censers in their hands. And then there's the women weeping for Tammuz. Now that's a, a big, long explanation. If you were at Kohlhop a couple uh, week before last, I explained this quite a bit. If you weren't there, sorry. Uh, but, uh, but I'll give you a, a quick overview there. The women weeping for Tammuz, this was a demonic form of worship that was female idol worship, worshiping a goddess, worshiping a goddess. And where we see this today in the body of Christ amongst Christians is promotion of things like LBGTQ plus ideology amongst Christians. Say, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to adapt. Sinful compromise with sexual sin of all kinds. Sinful compromise with demonically energized perversions in the body of Christ. It can include unbiblical feminism. Now, there is a biblical feminism. God loves women. And God created women on an equal footing as men. The scriptures are actually quite clear about this. There is a biblical feminism, and I'm a biblical feminist, but there's an ungodly feminism, and right now, ungodly feminism and trans ideology are having a confrontation in the Babylonian system. And I'm sitting back and watching that for the moment. And then the final one, the final way that the Babylonian system influences and affects the people of God are the image of the men between the porch and the altar. Now that was the most holy place, the most sacred place in the temple. And so you have a group of men there, and what are they doing? They turn their back on the altar. That's like turning your back on God. They're turning away from God, and they're turning to the worship of the sun. They're turning away from God and turning to false worship. That's called apostasy. When you turn away from God and you turn toward false worship, and what they do by turning to the sun and worshiping the sun, it's an attempt to pass off demon worship, ungodly worship, as the true worship of God. So it's not enough that they've turned their back on God, they've turned away from God. Now they're trying to promote their false worship as true worship. They're trying to promote their false ideology as true ideology. Their apostasy as pre is presented as a natural extension of their traditional faith when it's anything but. And in the body of Christ today, in the, in the people systems that are the church, around the West especially, but you see this around the globe, you see all of these manifestations of the system of Babylon. And it's no wonder if Babylon is inf infecting and influencing the church Christian systems so deeply and so profoundly, it's no wonder that the number of believers in our society is going down. It's no wonder that the number of people who follow Jesus is going down. It's no wonder that the church is being drained of its power for healing and its power for deliverance and its prosperity. It's no wonder these things are happening because we're living in this system and quite frankly, a lot of churches, and perhaps even a majority of churches, have capitulated to the systems of Babylon in order to get ahead, in order to produce, in order to succeed. 
in order to fill the pews. But we must not do that. We must not do that. We don't have to do that. We can beat the Babylonian system together. We can beat it together. Not alone, but we can beat the Babylonian system together. And here's a few ways to do it. I won't be exhaustive, but I'll give you some ideas. The first one, we must cooperate diligently with God and with one another to build healthy churches. Only healthy churches representing the kingdom of God in faithfulness and fruitfulness can overcome the Babylonian system. But healthy churches will be persecuted. Healthy churches will be challenged. That's why we need to stay together. That's why we need to be together. And that's why every single one of us needs to cooperate with God and with one another to build Chelsea, to build City Temple, to build whatever church you're a part of into a healthy church. And that means we need to know who we are together in Christ. We need to understand what Peter said. We're a holy people and all the things he said. We need to embrace that and realize that's true of us together. We need to understand that the church is designed by God to be a kingdom society that's called to live by the values of the kingdom as shown in the Bible as God's word. As Christians, we have to all offer a genuine social alternative to the system of Babylon if we're going to overcome the Babylonian system. We can't blend with it. We can't flow with it. We can't cooperate with it. We have to be the alternative and have to show the alternative. And isn't that why so many people have left the church? Over the last 30 years, I've seen survey after survey after survey that says effectively this, I stopped going to church because I didn't see any difference in the people that were in the church and the people I was encountering in the world. We have to be different. We have to show ourselves differently. That means everybody is responsible to promote health and help build up the church. The second thing, to overcome the Babylonian system together, we need to minister in the opposite spirit. Minister in the opposite spirit. That means go against the flow of what Babylon is doing and flow with the kingdom of God. We need to understand we cannot beat the Babylonian systems by using its tools and techniques. Frankly, if you are screaming and shouting through Twitter, and you know what that's like, if you're trying to get your voice to be louder than the next person's voice, you're using the tools and techniques of Babylon, not the tools and techniques of the kingdom of God. And we really need to be looking at this. Because if you give in to the Babylonian system, the moment you do, you lose. No matter what. No matter what. You cannot give in to the system. And we've seen too many churches that have done it. We've seen churches that turn worship into a concert. And the concert you see on Sunday is no different than the concert you'd hear any other night of the week by any other band in the world. 
We've seen people use threats and intimidation and harsh language to try to gain power over another person. That's Babylon. That's not God. The Babylonian society, the Babylonian system, operates by power, but we operate by persuasion. The Babylonian system operates by control, but we operate by cooperation. The Babylonian system operates by subjugation, which is just another word for slavery, quite frankly. But we operate by service. The Babylonian system operates by greed, but we operate by generosity. The Babylonian system operates by consume, 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 and we operate by contribute. Give, contribute. We minister in the opposite spirit, and that's just a taster of that. We need to be considering all the time, how can I minister in the opposite spirit of this evil thing that is going on right now? The next way that we overcome the Babylonian system together really is more what you can do on your own, but we have to do it on our own together, if that makes sense. And that's walk in personal integrity. We've got to walk in personal integrity. That means we need to abstain, as Peter says, from the passions of the flesh. And that means in particular, don't be controlled by your emotions. Don't be controlled by your feelings. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That means also that we need to keep our conduct amongst the non-Christians honorable. We need to make sure that when they see us, they know that we're different. I remember years ago, I took a, a course on team coaching, and, uh, and one guy was really disruptive. He wasn't a Christian, but he was really disruptive the whole week. He intended to be so. He said he was going to do that, and that's okay. It was fun. Uh, but in the last day, we had this exercise where you go to the different people, and you, you tell them something that you've noticed about them. And this guy, I'll never forget, this guy came up to me, and he said, Rod, you are a mountain of love. I thought, cool. That was so awesome. That was so awesome. But that's the kind of thing that people need to see in us. And they'll do that if we are keeping our conduct honorable. It also means that we have to cooperate with the human institutions insofar as possible and according to God's word. But we need to cooperate to see change come about. You can't be adversarial to see change, you need to cooperate. It's something some of the protest groups just don't get. It means also, according to people, that we need to do good. It means that we need to live freely, but we need to live freely while serving other people. And we need to show honor to everyone, among other things. This is walking in personal integrity. And the final thing, the final thing, is we need to trust God's sovereignty together. We need to trust that God's in control. You know what? Babylon doesn't dethrone Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is king. Babylon doesn't take away my place in the kingdom of God because I'm owned by Jesus, not by Babylon. Babylon will never overcome the church because Jesus said the gates of hell 
will not prevail against us together. So we have to trust God's sovereignty. As Habakkuk says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's verse 14. And as he says as well, but the Lord is in his holy temple. So let everybody keep silent because he's the one in charge. And he doesn't give it to anybody. We must not give in to the rigged system that's called Babylon. We must not give in. We must remember the sovereignty of God over all the systems of the world. And we must follow the example of Jesus. Jesus never gave in to the religious system of his day. Jesus never gave in to the systems of Rome. Jesus never gave in to the systems that tried to control him, that tried to direct his behavior. And yes, you might say that the fact that Jesus never gave in led to the crucifixion. And if you did, you would be right. But the crucifixion led to the resurrection. And it led to Jesus' triumph over all the systems of the world. And it led to Jesus' triumph over all the kingdom of darkness. And it led to Jesus' triumph over Babylon, past, present, and future. And we share in his resurrection. And we share in that triumph right now. So let's live like it. Father God, thank you so much that we can worship you, that we can come to you, that we will not back down. We will not give up. We will not retreat. But we will keep going. We will keep going, faithful to you, no matter what. We will keep going, honoring your name, no matter what. We will keep going until we share with you in the triumph, your triumph, over all the systems of the world, whether here or in the age to come. Make us resolute. Fill us with your spirit yet again and send us forth in power and love for your glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's join in worship of our Lord.